a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Andy Merrill. Voice of Brack. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Marvelous with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Eddie, you sound a little snuffly stuff. Oh, I'd get the snuffly runny thing going on. I'm sorry. It's all good, Eddie. No, it's not. Joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with the voice of the sorcerer, among many other you know characters. I think one of them is this character by the name of uh, Bork? No, no. Brock? No, no. Korg? No, 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 not oh. him. He was too good for us to be on our show. But no, no, no. We are joined with the voice of Brack, Andy Merrill. Andy, good evening. Good evening. Yeah, thank you for following me on Twitter. <laughs> the whole sorcerer thing. I just thought, you know. Well, when funny. I saw that, I'm like, you know what? I want to go. With, like, I went with, uh, wasn't it Oglethorpe from uh, Aqua Teen? Oglethorpe, yeah. I love What it. if I just refused to do any voice, but hello, Ben, go <laughs> Stupid sorcerer. Well, I had two lines as the sorcerer. I just thought it'd be funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, I excuse the voice. I just did a, a Comic Con in Columbus, and you know how people like you to do voices. Um, it's always weird when people want you to do voices, especially like for for for, for characters like Olafarp or something like that, because they'll they'll always come up and you know throw a recorder in your face and say. Say that one line you did, and then I'll like say, "Okay, if that's what you want, but that's the line you could record off of the TV." <laughs> and I always like have to remind people, "I'm sitting right in front of you. You're giving me your name. I can insult you to your face." <laughs> Wouldn't that be way cooler than me just going, "It's the Foggate." <laughs> well, the funniest thing is with the uh, with the voices and whatnot. It's kind of cool to see just the range with a character like that you have, like because there are so many different weird voices. But I love how different they can all be. You know, maybe it is like actually seeing the person do the voice because, like Oglethorpe, you don't really get from my voice, especially now because it's all groggy. So if I went like this and you are stupid. Then, then that's you know a little stupid, that is a little weird, and and I guess if you see, if you have me on video actually doing the voice, it's it's an odd thing, but you know if people wanted a, a voice, you know people would say I want a voice recording at Brack. I would just look at them and say, do you want a voice recording or do you want a video? And I would reach down under the table and pull out the you know Brack puppet that I've been doing stuff with for like three years. Where did you get and, that uh, puppet from? Because that thing is friggin' adorable. I made him. Um, I was making, I, I didn't have anything to do. To, you know, I, I thought, what am I going to do during the whole pandemic thing? And so I just thought, I always wanted to try and make Muppet quality puppets. So I, um, I just, you know, found a couple of uh, um, templates and just ordered a bunch of like 
amazing uh what was the name i can't remember the name of the place but it was up in new england uh and they had like the most amazing selection of of uh, uh fabrics and stuff and it was all like fleecy muppety stuff and so i ordered the the fabrics from them and then i would just design on top of the template um zombies and the, the zombie character was just in a promo, because I auditioned for, like, Sven Gulli on uh, MeTV, and they just put him in a promo for people to send more videos to them. Uh, his name was Munch M. Muncherton, and he has, like, a... I, I dangled a ping-pong ball from one of his eye sockets and all this stuff. And um, I, But Brack was hard to, you know, wrap my head around. I couldn't figure out how to make him until somebody commissioned me to make uh, a Grim Reaper puppet where I just made a, just a blank slate black puppet and, uh, you know, cut out, I, I designed the skulls and all of the bones. And so that was just a pain in the ass to put together because I sewed every single arm bone, every single finger bone onto it. And I thought, well, I, well, I could do this with Brack. So I used a blank uh, template, you know, for Brack, a black puppet. And then I just put appliques all over him. And that's where, that's where he came from. I tend to over explain all of this and people, <laughs> people's eyes glaze over because <laughs> I get into it too much. But yeah, basically Brack came from that and Brack, I kind of did as a necessity because I was trying to pitch a uh, pandemic you know, hunker down, lockdown Brack show that would be easy to do for, you know, in case Adult Swim was, you know, short on programming or something. But that didn't get picked up. But, um, but you know, I had the puppet then. So I, I thought I'm going to make fun of Trump and just, like, quote him um, uh, word for word with Brack. And then I made Santa Claus and started doing uh, – trying to do like a Christmas song every day in December leading up to Christmas with uh, uh, Brack and Santa Claus. And so I've been doing that for a couple of years. I've kind of been lax because of different things happening. I started a podcast. I got a girlfriend. I uh, did the Comic-Con, but I'm, I'm going to do some Brack and Santa songs again soon. So. Now, what I was wondering, by the way, with, you know, you at the conventions and talking with various talents in, you know, talking to fans about the voice work, a lot of the time you mentioned people will ask you to say certain lines. What are the lines for yourself that you wish more fans were receptive towards that, you know, you find to be hilarious? And they're just like, eh, whatever, say the other one instead. It's not that. It's I wish I remembered the lines that they tell me to say. Because a lot of the times I'm kind of given you know, free reign in the studio. Um, I'll, I'll follow the script. I'll, I'll do what I call, you know, giving the producer a cookie and like, uh, give them the, the lines, do at least two or three lines the way they wrote it and the way they want it. And then, um, they'll let me, you know, add or, or, you know, do like alternatives and stuff. And, the majority of the time they'll use the ad libs and alternatives and people say, dude, it's why like you remember the line. And I'll be like, uh, yeah, I recorded that. <laughs> I made that up in the studio 20 years ago. So please refresh my memory. <laughs> but it's best when people, uh, uh, you know, give me 
a paper or their phone with the quote on it, and then I can just read it verbatim. But, yeah, I don't remember anything, you know. I remember a couple regular Brack songs, but those are the ones that people ask for all the time. Sometimes, sometimes people will come up and say, sing the big old beat song. <laughs> like, you know the show better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my favorite Brack Show moment was in the finale when no one knew the show had ended and it just goes, hey, we're all penguins. And also the show is canceled like that was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> if you watch that very night, we did uh, a very special New Year's Eve packaging, too. And um, I, I mentioned this to Dana because it was the only. The first time, first and only time I wrote for Master Shake, and uh, Dana kind of remembered it. And uh, I said, you know, the first line I ever wrote for Master Shake was, Where is the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> and that was just the whole packaging that night for New Year's Eve was leading up to, you know, the Brack show being canceled, but nobody knew the Brack show was being canceled on the packaging. So, the whole thing was about the uh, Brack and his Brack's family having this big New Year's Eve party at their house, and everybody from you know the Atlanta-based Adult Swim shows came in uh, to the party, and so just every it was like the only time you saw any any of those shows just interact with one another, and that included like uh, Harvey Birdman too. Um, we we got the pleasure of of directing Stephen Colbert in a in a record. That was that was fun. Um, I remember I used to actively post on the uh, Tune Zone forums back in the day, and somebody had you know like there was like a live discussion of that episode as it was coming out, and right when that line comes out, you just see like everyone in the post going, "Wait, wait, is that a joke?" <laughs> and then like the next day, it's <laughs> like, you "No." Know, you're, you're talking about the Tune Zone forums, and you know the people saying, "What is that a joke? What what?" And I just always. You know, I've read those, and I always want to say, this is your fault. <laughs> those tunes on forums were not kind to no. us as the Brack Show. And uh, I think part, part of that, like, led up to us just being like, okay, you know, Mike doesn't like this show. Viewers hate this show. We're like, why are we even doing this anymore? And I wanted to keep going, but Pete Smith was like, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And so that, I think that's basically why uh, the Brack Show ended. So those 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 negative Nellies on, on, on Tune Zone, I hope you're happy with yourself. <laughs> I remember also in regards to just, you know, because Adult Swim like heavily adopted the Internet with everything going on. And my favorite one was the Adult Swim forums where someone acknowledged, they acknowledged in one of the bumpers some fan that was complaining about anime and like again i haven't thought about this for maybe 10 years but you know right when you mentioned the whole forums thing as well like what got me thinking was the infamous line of because anime is the suck because they wanted to you know block out the sense it was like it was uh yeah i remember that and And i remember it came like a thing and it was a t-shirt like i remember the t-shirt and i'm like no one remembers the t-shirt but i'm like i do because i wanted to wear it yeah, I know. I and for a while that I don't know if that phrase was trending because the internet was so like young, but um, I just kept seeing "to suck" come up everywhere. Um, 
What else was I? Oh, I you know I used to program stuff on Cartoon Network, and the the it, it was it it was just felt like a betrayal with the Brack Show because the, I always I always would you know play with the the Toon Zone people because I would I did this like it was an all around you know cartoon hour on Cartoon Network, and it included Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry, Popeye, and uh, the MGM cartoons, and uh, I knew the cartoons so well that. After a while, I started, like, theming the episodes. And a lot of times I would kind of, like, subtly theme things and then go to the Toon Zone forum to see if anybody uh, was paying attention. And um, I was impressed by the people who would actually, like, mention it within, like, 10 minutes of, of the show being over. Uh, and um, so I, I, it got to a point where I, I ended up just programming that show just for those people. And, it's, and then they hated the Brack show, and I was like... <laughs> well, I remember when Adult Swim had its uh, stealth debut, and it was like one night when I think it was supposed to be Acme Hour or something, and like I remember reading on the Termite Terrace uh, trading post back in the day, like they were having... You're a, a diehard follower. <laughs> I used uh, to be. I used to. <laughs> it's funny because like I just remember like the uh, the tantrum they were having in the group, and I'm just like... This I was I want to say twelve or thirteen, and I was posting on there, and I remember seeing like all these people like going on like saying, "Oh, this is a terrible thing," and I'm like, "I'm coming of age when like that's you know my generation coming up like appreciating it," and I'm like, "Yeah, this is kind of cool. Like this is kind of yeah, like." I, I mean, I, I don't get you don't get that anymore. Like the 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 tune zone thing, or the the uh, those those. Uh, forums you don't get the, you can get the forums but nobody does forums anymore because you know you've got instant gratification with social media but back then just i don't get the the forums were just full of trolls and haters most of the time and um it's like you can't please everybody it's like why <laughs> why are you just like wasting your time going I hate this awkward scene. It's just I don't like it. <laughs> and it's like always for dumb reasons. Like, I didn't like the robot rabbit. It offended me because rabbits aren't robots. And um, <laughs> I don't, these petty little people <laughs> just going online, finally having a voice. <laughs> and that's what they use it for. And it's funny because, like, <laughs> nowadays, you know, with social media, I remember uh, before. Part of why, you know, I helped set this thing up, this episode with you and I and Eddie, was because of the fact that, you know, Twitter almost, like, imploded. And I remember, like, I was, it was like all of us were getting off the Titanic. And, you exactly, know. Exactly, yeah. Like, I remember, and by the way, like, I had the biggest smile when I saw the DM from you. I'm like, oh, Andy, Brack messaged me. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> so, but. You know what? And, and you know, I have to say, there, there's still trolls out there and stuff. And people who take things the wrong way. You probably noticed that one day where some guy wanted uh, uh, sheet music for soup on a stick. And I wrote back and I was like, yeah, right. We didn't even have sheet music when we recorded it. And I always like emphasize one word by capitalizing it. And for some reason, he took that the wrong way. And I guess I was yelling at him. And he like wrote this thing back saying, of course you didn't have it because you were important enough because you're an obvious douche nozzle. 
And so the entire day I had changed, you know, my description on Twitter. Andy Brack is a douche nozzle Merrill. And, and uh, I just kept referring. Uh, maybe it's the douche nozzle in me. <laughs> I'd say that over and over again. And people were, like, responding to it until the guy, like, took it down in shame and stopped following me. There, recently, like, okay, I'm not a douche nozzle anymore, everybody. You know, go back to what you were doing. I'm I'm trying to find now because on my Twitter recently, I was called um, what was it? It was something with a rabbit. I looked like a uh, apparently I looked like a rabbit had sex with something else, and I'm just like that is the funniest thing, like descriptor, like troll that would ever describe me for something. And I was very close to putting that in my bio, but I already used up all the characters, <laughs> so I was like, eh. Does he realize that a rabbit would have sex with anything? <laughs> My sister, a long time ago, got a rabbit, and all it wanted to do was screw the West Highland Terrier that we had in the house. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but Twitter is like a weird thing. Uh, I've been like, not so subtly, you know, because I just started, you know, you know being with somebody. Again, after you know a year and a half of being divorced, and um, I just, <laughs> I just have not so subtly been saying hi, I love you, <laughs> online. And uh, I even did one for uh, it was it was for the the con. I was like uh, the first person who comes to me and says I love, it's my favorite stemware. We'll get a free signature. <laughs> just remember, I love. And all that other crap. <laughs> she would write to me and say, I love you. <laughs> Did she add, and all that other crap? Because that would be perfect. Her name is actually, and all that other crap. So, um... <laughs> wow, she got out of Ellis Island uh, unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have caught on, but I, I just think it's funny those who haven't <laughs> caught on yet. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> So now, part of why I wanted to have you on the show and talk with us is you're a Marvel fan. Like, some of the stuff, like, you'll randomly tweet at me from time to time. I'm just like, this guy gets it. I appreciate this. And it's... it's... I, I, okay, I was born in 66. Uh, uh, I, um, I grew up, you know, in the 70s. And, and you know, in the, in, the, in the early 70s, you see in the back of the comic books... Here's a subscription for four dollars. So I would, you know, it was when you would actually send four dollars in cash. And I had like a subscription to uh, what was it? It was the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Iron Man, uh, Marvel Team Up, Marvel Two and One. Um, eventually, Moon Knight. I did for a while. Yes. Um, and what if? I, no, it wasn't what if. I, I would get what if at the at the at the comic book store. But um, yeah, and you know, you're a little kid in the '70s, and you go to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician gives you a shot and a balloon. And every time my mom would send us to the take us to the pediatrician, that that was it. That's all we got, <laughs> the stupid balloon. But uh, if my dad took us, that was always special time because if my dad took us and we would get a shot he would take us to the drugstore nearby and we could have any comic book we wanted and I just you know I was into Green Lantern at the time but 
you know, once I got a little older and, you know, there were, the, there were all these, like, you know, in places, those comic book stands. And, uh, so I started, uh, really collecting more Marvel stuff and, uh, Howard the Duck and, and all of that back in the seventies. Howard the Duck I started because they did like a Star Wars, um, booth in the seventies. Um, so I was big into Star Wars, uh, after 76, um, cause I was, you know, nine years old seeing Star Wars for the first time. That's kind of like the sweet spot, you know, age-wise to have it affect your life, so. And it's, anyway, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned Howard the Duck especially because, like, I, I love seeing a lot of, you know, people in comedy. Like, Howard is the character they go to, and the absurdist humor of Steve Gerber, and, like, it's funny because I've, I've you know, said it in the past. If Steve Gerber was still alive to this day, he would be the one person I would be annoying the shit out of to get on the podcast. Like, well, yeah, and then they, then they, then Lucas ruined it for a generation, you know, with that stupid movie. Um, and and then uh, you mentioned talking to Kevin Smith earlier. For a while, I probably shouldn't say this. Is, no, no, it was public. Uh, Kevin Smith was going to do like a Howard the Duck thing for Hulu and. They had, like, shoved Dave Willis in with him uh, to do it. But I, I think that, you know, got canceled and yeah. kind of thrown by the wayside because of uh, Modoc or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, but I've always been, like, a giant Marvel fan. And uh, finally, you know, to see them finally, you know, get the movies right and stuff uh, is great. And I, I was a DC fan, too, but not as much. And, and to see, you know, the MCU start, like, really, really strong, and to see DC come in and go, me too, <laughs> that, that was just, like, such a disappointment because, you know, you guys can be good too. It's just, you know, you're not trying hard enough. It's catch-up. Kind of farting it out, you know? Well, the funniest thing is with James Gunn jumping over, you know, I— as of this recording on December 5th, Eddie, I don't think actually on our show as well, we haven't even talked about it, but, you know, with James Gunn, now he's like the co-CEO of Mar or of uh, DC yeah, Studios. Yeah, yeah, It's insane. And I loved his uh, Suicide Squad, and oh. and I thought, you know, the Peacemaker was just brilliant. Um, so they're not going to be harmed by having him over there, you know? He And it's fun because, like, he, get, he likes the obscure characters. Like, you look at a lot of what he does— and in regards to, like, he wants to do certain characters coming soon. Like, if you follow him on Twitter, like, he'll subtly hint who he wants to do stuff with. And one of them, like, somebody said, why don't you do Checkmate? And it was Paul Kupperberg, like, the writer of the series himself, saying that. And James is like, you never know. And it's like, everyone, like, had, like, a, <laughs> like a, oh, my God. Because he can take, you know, chicken shit and make chicken salad. It's the you know exactly. I, I love that he's such a fan of the over encompassing uh, universes that he can say, "I want to take this really stupid character and make him a star," because he can do that. And and uh, I just really respect him for that because you know I, back in the day when I was like I, I actually uh, did a few tiny little comics for DC. And it's back when I was doing the space Ghost coast to coast comic for DC and, uh, they were cool. And, you know, it was, it would get to a point where they wanted me to, you know, pitch stuff. So I'm like, okay, 
here's the Batman story or blah, blah, blah. And they would say, no, just pitch something new to us. And every time I would do that, I'd switch gears and pitch something new, they would be like, no, go back to pitching something with the, with the, the, the regular characters. And so they just could never make up their mind. And then if I, you know, said, I want to do Batmite, they would be like, oh, they're like horrified backing up against the wall because anything that like was humorous around Batman at the time was like such a, you know, such a, a bad thing to do. But yeah. then, you know, it got to a point where Warner Brothers, it just seemed like all they wanted to do was make either Batman or Superman shit. But I always wanted to, you know, do... Uh, a, a dead man and not very many people know this but uh back uh it was kind of like um it was it was i was just coming back to atlanta from new york i think it was that um the uh, um i was i was kind of getting close to more of the people in the action side of warner animation and they really wanted to put me with uh, Dwayne mcduffie Oh. And um, so I worked with Dwayne to uh, develop Inferior Five for uh, DC as a as an animated show, and um, we had to obviously change some characters because there was a a girl in the group called Dumb Bunny, so we just didn't want to have a dumb blonde because that's just a stupid joke anymore. <laughs> and um, there. Uh, Main villain was the, the the former villain of their parents. I don't know if you know the story of the Inferior Five. It's just like, basically, what if the Justice League made it and had the most inept, stupid kids ever? So it was like the main leader was Merry Man, and he just dressed as a jester and was kind of like this, originally written as this kind of Woody Allen character, and he... Uh, he didn't have many powers and everybody just had stupid powers. So like if you were the son of the flash, you were just this fat blimpy thing that would, you know, he was called the blimp and he would just move as slowly as possible. And I think mainly his power was such a detriment to things that he would actually get in the villain's way to make them accidentally win things. So, so, you know, you had this whole thing. So their former parents, uh, main villain was was like a Nazi. So we had to obviously change that, but we had gotten pretty far in the process of uh, pitching uh, Inferior Five, and it was just an amazing, you know, to work with Dwayne because he had done, you know, all this great writing for like Justice League and uh, uh, the Superman animated series, and he created, you know, Static Shock and that that part of DC Comics uh, for, you know, the African-American readers. And um, it was just such a great, you know, honor working with him. And um, and so we, we had gotten to the point where they were finally going to, you know, pitch the show to the main people to green light it and sell it. And it was, it was like everything fell apart. It was like, Nobody had heard about this in their lifetime before, and everything just went for that. It just all turned like a sand and like went through our fingers. And I was like, "What?" And Dwayne was like, "I don't know, man. It's never happened before." I was so sorry, and it just like completely went away. And I thought this sucks. <laughs> so 
so that that's my story of working with Dwayne McDuffie. And, um, and, and then Dwayne, like, sadly um, died maybe like five years later. But, you know, I would have loved to have worked on that and maybe worked on more with him because he was just so amazing. He was very, very talented. And it's interesting because when you look at the whole thing of these obscure characters, like they were, you know, afraid of doing that back then. But now it's like, think about it like this. Ambush Bug and Wild Dog could be stars in the next five years. And we, you know, it's not right. out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, uh, and it's so weird how the MCU started. I mean, it officially started with Incredible Hulk, but that's just nobody paid attention to that. But for it to start with Iron Man, you know, uh, you know, because back then it's like, who uh, who cares about Iron Man? Because, uh, you know, everybody cared about Spider-Man and making shitty Fantastic Four movies. Um, <laughs> did you ever see that Corman Fantastic Four movie? Oh, yeah. We did. And oh, we've my all... gosh. I, I wish they would release that because <laughs> just the uh, Mr. Fantastic <laughs> Arm coming out of the limo. Out of the stretch limo at the end is just worth the entire movie. Two, two things about that. One, be sure to check out in our archives. We've actually had uh, Roger Corman on talking about in, his involvement with that film, and it's oh, it's, wow. it's a fascinating interview. And, <laughs> wow. And two, Eddie is our king of cosplay over at the Marvelists, and <laughs> Eddie has a uh, Reed Richards cosplay. And the Reed Richards cosplay is he has the, you know he has the blue outfit, and then he wears a white lab coat over it. The late great Gene Okerlund uh, once remarked, "Are you a pharmacist?" And I was that was the joke I beat like a dead horse the entire weekend. But um, I suggested to Eddie, and he go like the look on his face was like genius. Say you're right. I told him buy a blue pool noodle and put a glove on the end of it and shove it in the uh, the sleeve. And you're good to go. And like, isn't that basically what they did for the movie anyway? <laughs> probably. <laughs> Let's be completely honest. Probably. But it's funny you just because got a giant fire hose and painted it blue and dangled it around. <laughs> turns out the actor they went through many actors who played uh, the Human Torch. Unfortunately, due to actually setting them on fire. So <laughs> that's, that's funny. But it's funny that, that you would do a Fantastic Four movie and say, you know what, let's do everything practically. <laughs> Not try and do any effects. <laughs> but I guess back then they couldn't, you know, they didn't have what they have now. But uh, <laughs> They walk into an empty room. Wow, she's really doing method acting to be the uh, invisible woman. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see them try what they did in, in Multiverse of Madness to to Reed Richards oh in my that God. Foreman movie. <laughs> well, the funniest thing that I've seen over and over, uh, Friends of the Cosplayer, who she does a uh, a uh, Invisible Woman cosplay, and she holds a shredded pool noodle, a blue shredded pool noodle, and cries that it's Reed. And it's one of the most saddest and messed up cosplay <laughs> props I've ever seen. That's funny. So <laughs> it's, it's great though. When you get it, it's like, Oh, it's, oh, it's like, man. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And she gets down on her knees at the end. She's just like, why? <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> this show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the marvelists. 
And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. But now in regards to overall, just like, you know, your fandom, like who are some of the characters like that you grab, like other than Howard, like who were like the, uh, the capes that you, you know, were attracted to as a fan? You know, it's funny because I, I, I grew up in such a religious family, and I, I, I actually, you know, credit, you know, uh, getting my, like, improv chops and, and uh, puppetry training, basically, in this. Uh, my family started a puppet ministry when I was, like, nine, and, uh, you know, just, you know, go, growing up through that. But I collected, uh, I had a Moon Knight subscription uh, during this period where... <laughs> They just wanted to write stories about Satan. And I thought, if my mom finds these, she's going to be appalled. <laughs> so Moon Knight was like a big thing. I just really loved Moon Knight for some reason. And um, um, I just liked those weird characters. Like like, like I said before, like I, I really liked the thought of, of Dead Man and the DC to you know be able to just enter into anybody's body and make them a crazy acrobat and, and solve crime and stuff. Um, but... Yeah, I was always into the obscure stuff. Uh, so like Moon Knight, um, uh, I didn't know any. I didn't know that Moon Knight came from Werewolf by Night, which they just did uh, a special for it at Halloween. Um, uh, what else did I like? Um, no, I was just mainly a big Fantastic Four fan, and so just the disappointment of. Of of just seeing it on film, just you know, fizzle and turn to crap all the time, just disappointing. So the thought of them, you know, being in the MCU and actually being treated, you know, right, and maybe have, you know, the origin story of Doctor Doom and shit actually be treated <laughs> seriously and done right for the first time, kind of excites me. But um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Howard the Duck was one. Um, Man, uh, now I don't sound like a Marvel fan. Um, the no, human fly. Uh, uh, you know, when I was in college, um, that's when everybody went to, to D.C., and that's when John Byrne was like, I'm going to Marvelize Superman. And so that was a big, a big deal uh, to, to, like, make the D.C. characters uh, more Marvelized. But, no, uh, I was more of a traditionalist. I was more... Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. I I collected uh, um, I collected uh, uh, Iron Man during you know Tony Stark's alcoholism and um, uh, X-Men. I really really liked. I didn't have a, a subscription, but I loved X-Men and and the whole like uh, you know and Days of Future Past. And I loved that whole. I always loved 
like amalgam type stuff, like when they, you know, went to this world without Professor X and and uh, they had the armless uh, Wolverine and everybody had just been changed and the whole, um, what was the, there was a Flash series about 10 years ago, it was like Flashpoint or yeah. something like that where, where um, the Flash went back and saved his mom and everything up and Thomas Wayne was Batman and and all that. I'm not, I know I'm talking about DC Comics, but um, I always loved, you know, the DC versus Marvel stuff and the Amalgam universe where they would like mix the DC characters and the, and the uh, uh, Marvel characters. And then, then there was a time where uh, they kind of did that with the, the Infinity Stone where they did like amalgams of, of uh, Marvel characters. And there was like a Moon Knight spider-man uh mix and and all of that so i was always like i was such a big geeky fan of of uh just the the characters themselves but to like mix them together i thought that was really cool and i was always big into what the what if universe and i love that they're doing that with with the mcu and using like the actual people for voices and i, I think they're really happy that they did that too because they you know finally got to you know got to work with you know uh, Chadwick Boseman until the very end with uh, uh, you know Black Panther. Um, so I've I've just been always into like the what ifs and the you know because I, I love the traditional universe, but you know just to see like an alternative take on things, um, you know that I that you get it, you know you you get every bit of it because you're such a, a fan of the universe. That um, you get everything, every single reference and stuff, and 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 what if, and that's that's like I think a test of the true like, at least the Marvel fan is that if if you can like see every um, issue of like what if and say yes I know I thought that too you know I wondered if you know you know what if Ben didn't die or uh, you know that's a simple one but like you know what if. Dr. Doom had become a hero and had to answer to Mephisto and, and all of that stuff. So I always love, okay. uh, the one I always go back to is, what if Phoenix didn't die? And I always think about the uh, fan at a comic shop walking by, seeing the dollar reprint, and he just goes, well, she'd be alive. And he just keeps walking back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, she probably would. <laughs> just on the tin. I'm like, yeah, she would be alive. That's good. Well, end of that issue this and then, month. And then she was alive, so... Nobody can die in comics. I always nobody love, goes away. It, I love, I'm, I'm waiting for them to bring you know Robert Downey Jr. back. Oh, it's it's <laughs> dusting himself off, going, "Hey, what happened?" It's one of those where so many of us are still like internally thinking that of you know he's coming back, he's got to come back, and I, I know you think that because of the comics, but then. Uh, I'm 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 tending to think that with Hollywood contracts and stuff that that the MCU is finite, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now the uh, rumor and innuendo is they're re uh, reevaluating phases five and six to go with like lesser amounts of things since uh, the good Bob Bob Iger has returned to take over from a uh, boob chap ass, and you know, the whole issue with that going on, like. It's kind of like Star Wars where, and you know, you as a Star Wars fan as well, 
wasn't it special when Star Wars was something every two years? It was, and now it's just starting to turn into a turd wagon. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I love Star Wars, and you know, take it little by little. You know, I I, yeah. I watched Andor because I really loved uh, uh, that movie. I can never uh, first uh, no, not, I, I don't Rogue even want to call it First Contact. That's Star Trek, idiot. Rogue uh, One. What was it? Rogue One. Uh, I really liked Rogue One, and if you watch Rogue One right next to uh, New Hope, it it just really you know changes the. To me, it changed the focus of A New Hope, and it actually made the original Star Wars better to a point. And um, uh, <clears throat> Andor, Andor was pretty good, but I, you know, I'll still watch shows like Andor, and I think, what, who? Where am I now? What happening? Because you know, I, I I think I've come to the fact that I think I'm I'm more of a Star Trek fan now, just because I can sit and watch the show and not have to worry about you know the multi-year background of yeah. most Tootman and and do uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to know the history of this guy to enjoy this show? And and uh, uh, Star Trek, it's like hey, we're seeing you for the first time and, you know, prime directive and, <laughs> and all that. So you don't have to know that much. What I'm excited yeah. for is the eventuality in Star Wars when we're going to get a spinoff series or movie and I'm going to say the character, I'm going to say the fan name of the character and I know you're going to know who I'm talking about from the uh, prequels, but I cannot wait for a spinoff uh, movie or show starring Wienerhead because, you know... It's it's inevitable. Like they'll they'll uh, they will keep uh, digging through the uh, bottom. I'm waiting for a gonk droid show. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> Here's Greedo's grieving widow. Oh God! Oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> it starts with it starts with her at home with her children, and Greedo doesn't come home. <laughs> My... <laughs> How will I pay about... the space mortgage? Well, I'm my favorite line in Rogue One, and it's that level of gallows humor that I have. But my favorite line comes from Bail Organa at the very end, and I'm paraphrasing it. But when he just says, "You say you didn't say Bail Organa," and I'm like, <laughs> "No, well, it's what's his name, the um, uh, Leia's." No, no, uh, I, I know, I know, I know, but it's just uh, every name is the same. Oh yeah, <laughs> Star well, Wars is poop diarrhea. <laughs> Over here is bone star mama. <laughs> you know, it's, well, uh, what's with with him? My favorite line out of all of this is still like he's about to leave, and he just goes, "All right, I have to go back to Alderaan," and I'm like, "No, don't do that. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. Your planet's gonna explode." I know. Like just when I hear that, I'm like that. I think I was the only one in the theater who laughed when I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll go back to my desk. <laughs> It's it's like, but again, with Star Wars, with Marvel, like the decrease in content potentially. I like that idea because we had so much. We had Loki. We had, you know, we had WandaVision, which was spectacular. But then there's like, right, it gets. But to, there's such a rich universe of of villains and heroes that uh, with DC that are I'm not DC. Shit, punch me in the face now with Marvel. Marvel's so much diverse. Uh, 
there's such a rich, you know, uh, characterizations and everything that everything everything is so bold and you know in your face as far as villains are, and you know even like little villains like you know the chameleon from Spider-Man and stuff are, are still like very 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 memorable um, that they don't you know merge together like like in Star Wars just everybody kind of just like merges into one big clump of character yeah and it's um, what yeah. well what gets me is with a lot of these uh shows it's like it, it kills us sometimes, like myself and Eddie, because like we have to have like you know I like having the weekly content of the uh, you know the review shows. Like let's say uh, they're gonna do a spinoff show about oh I don't know Squirrel Girl's Gardener, and it's like you know a weekly show where we have to talk about that. And like mind you, I don't mind. I'm not complaining about the concept of you know like oh no we have to create content for listeners. It's like we already have so much shit. We're already on our you know on our plate. Like as is, it's like. We got like fifteen interviews that are just sitting there, like gathering dust. I'm like, come on, come on! I want to, I want to tell people we talked there, to Eric Larson. There's a show on YouTube that I religiously watch after watching a, a, an MCU movie or show, and I screen something. Um, but they'll go over every single Marvel Easter egg in that they find in every single episode and movie. And I just find that like fascinating because I'll, I'll I'll watch the episode, then I'll watch that, then I'll go back and look at the episode again, and just try and find all of these weird comic book references and stuff. And I think it's really really helpful that my dog is playing with my foot now. <laughs> I think it's like really really helpful that you know I'm such you know a nerd anyway, and I I notice like little things here and there. I, I'll notice like the whenever they say mutant in the mcu i'll be like yeah <laughs> or even that like in in um ms marvel and when, when they said mutant you hear hear this very very subtle uh x-men animated series <laughs> note to the music that's you know you if, you if you're just a fan and you know it you just kind of like a little pee comes out <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah it's funny too because like there's so much content like just even in the backlog of what we have for the future of the MCU and you know even Marvel as a whole and it's it's cool to see what you know we have to look backwards on and what to look forward to because you know you mentioned X-Men on I call it X-Men 92 but now Marvel's trying to like brand it as 97 because that's when it ended and that's when they're gonna continue it again take off yeah yeah so it's like I get that but it's like that stuff that's going to be cool to see because now you know in a in a way that's canon to all of this other stuff like you can go back and watch you know like uh jubilee going does a mall rat eat chili fries and like oh cool that kind of is in relation to uh iron man's you know film debut like in a roundabout weird way but right you know what my favorite thing though is that you know i don't know 20 15 20 years ago Somebody actually finally said, you see what Marvel has always done in the comics? Why can't they do that in the movies? Why do we make these just these single shitty movies? Why can't we just make everything intermingle? And for somebody to say that, and then for somebody to finally say, let's throw a lot of money at this, 
that, you know, finally that, you know, something can be cool and entertaining and, um, and, and everything is like weaved together into just one giant, like storyline and web. I just think that's amazing. And I think, uh, when, when Star Trek came back with Discovery, the first few seasons, I was just like enthralled in it because they had never done uh, a Star Trek series that covered one uh, plot line through the entire series because everything was just like disjointed and, you know, you'd have a series about Data petting his cat one day and then like Barkley taking over the, the Enterprise the next day and, and, I just like the whole idea of going more into, you know, the mirror universe and, and all of this stuff. So, but then there's something refreshing about Strange New Worlds coming in and, and going back to kind of that episodic thing. But I noticed very strong influence uh, that, that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy had on, you know, the um, movie and TV industry because there was like, there was a strange new world episode. <laughs> I was like, that is Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Well, one thing that also, you know, kind of gets me is, again, we're going back and, like, seeing them acknowledge, you know, Marvel's past. And how exactly, long yeah. do you think they would ever acknowledge even, like, the Hanna-Barbera uh, Fantastic Four animated series from the 60s? Like, could they even go that far back? Like, maybe, you know, find a way to finagle the rights back for it and, like, acknowledge it somehow. Well, you know, it seems like a multiverse anything possible. They went back to the 67 Spider-Man series at the very end of uh, the um, Spider-Man uh, Spider-Verse uh, movie. I'm 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 really waiting to see what where they go next with the Spider Verse. I um, that that was a big thing like a couple of years ago. I was so into the you know Spider Verse, um, but um, uh, I, I don't know. I wish they would. And, and you know what? That just makes me think. You bringing up the the '60s uh, Fantastic Four. I worked when I was working at Cartoon Network. We actually had that. I would always like. Uh, when I was programming Boomerang or when I was working at Cartoon Network, especially Boomerang, we still had it. And I tried to, like, just play the hell out of that because that was, like, one of my favorites. Um, and, it, you know, it's the only thing with the Human Torch and stuff like that. We never had the, 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 the version with Herbie the Robot, which is what I w- saw when I was young. And then I, I always tried to play the 60s Fantastic Four and I tried to bury the abomination of uh, that whole Ben Grimm thing ring piece of crap that I think Ruby Spears did it. But Ruby Spears, uh, Hanna-Barbera owned the Ruby Spears stuff. And they did like a thing cartoon where it's just this, this, you know, weakling little boy named Ben Grimm who would get in trouble and he would... He had this thing ring, and he would twist the ring on his hand, and all of a sudden, all these rocks would come onto his body, and he was like, all of a sudden, Fantastic Four is the thing, and it was the lamest, stupidest thing, the worst idea ever. But, no, uh, you mentioning the 60s Fantastic Four, it brought up all of that. But then again, I thought, why won't they release 
I mean, you're, everything is streaming now. You got Disney Plus. Why can't Disney Plus get that? Why can't Disney Plus get the original 1966-67 Captain America, Iron Man, Submariner, Thor cartoons? Because I would love to see those again. Because I, you know, growing up, uh, going to school, I wake up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and the local like NBC affiliate at 6 in the morning would just play um, those, you know, Marvel superhero cartoons from the 60s. And I loved those because they were so, it was like watching a Jack Kirby comic, you know, Um, because that's basically what it was. It was a motion comic. Uh, The animation was so limited and crappy on it, but it was just the most beautiful thing, you know, in the world because uh, you just had uh, a, a TV series of these amazing Marvel uh, heroes and stuff. I loved, and the music on it was stupid and fun. Uh, the Hulk theme was like really stupid. I actually had a VHS of the Hulk that actually, you know, was actually released legally, and it only had like four episodes on it. So, you know, I always just want to find those, and 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 they did like release the entire series. But it's all like released in the UK, uh, and I just never understood why. I think Turner owned them for a while too, and I think that they never aired them because uh, Ted thought they were too violent, which is stupid. Well, I mean, Ted owned WCW for a while, and they weren't allowed to say foreign objects, so they had to say international objects, which is my favorite. That's right. They couldn't say the word foreign. My favorite. I remember that. No, I remember that time. That was when I was working at working there. And that was after I worked at CNN. I worked at Cartoon, I think, when that rule came through. That was weird. Ted's a magical man. <laughs> I remember the days, the early days in the network where it was such a mom and pop thing, Turner Broadcasting was, that you were always, there was always maybe four degrees of separation between any employee and Ted. So it was like, it was always like you, your boss, your boss's boss, Ted. And Ted would always do, you know, the company meetings for, years uh i think it, you know at least i was it might have been like just 10 years after i i was working at cartoon i think ted stopped doing the the meeting but those were always good meetings to go to because you know he wasn't a stupid person so now before we wrap this episode up uh first off i want to say thank you as always for speaking with us on i'm the program sorry today. i talked about dc a little too much how dare you? How dare you talk I, the distinguished no, no, competition? No, I, you know, <laughs> we I'm cross sorry. the streams frequently, and you and I, Andy, are on the same uh, age level. Where yes, sometimes little P does come out, Eddie. Well, <laughs> we yeah, are at that I, stage, it is, you know. We're and, at, and I'm, and I've reached the age where P comes out all the time. <laughs> I guess it once goes to once you hit over fifty-five, you're like, okay, all right. I guess depends is all right. Which uh, which doctor would I have to see now on my list of appointments? <laughs> I gotta do another colonoscopy. 
I am old. It's been five years already? <laughs> so to look forward to, Peter. How dare you, sir? Uh, so I think, Andy, though, it pretty much goes without saying, though, you were coming up, growing up with comedy and comic books about the same track, or one started before the other. Um, you know, comic books kind of overtook everything, but then, you know, you discover uh, comedy is not pretty in the Wild and Crazy Guy album. and Steve Martin all the way. small and everything like Steve Martin, and, and it's like, oh, there's funny things in life, you know? And, and uh, um, I, I think, but a lot of my humor, you know, came from, from my dad because he was nuts. And um, and and uh, I would I would really try and um, <clears throat> make uh, any puppet that I performed as you know human as possible and smooth movements and stuff and try and be as funny as I could. And that unfortunately led to actually <laughs> accidentally saying the word crap <laughs> in a <laughs> during a church service, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, just, but yeah, Monty Python, you know, you're at the same age, you know, you're reading comic books, but you're still, uh, watching Tom Baker as, as, uh, a Doctor Who and, and you're watching religiously every episode of Monty Python on, on public television. And, and it's just such a big influence on everything. And, I was always a big, you know, Doctor Who fan. I embarrassed myself over the weekend because I saw John Barrowman and Jodie Whittaker together in the, in the VIP lounge, and I'm like, <laughs> I actually touched them on the shoulders, and I was like, I'm sorry to interrupt, and just went into some long. I just want to say that the good things that you do with the good, fun, happy Doctor Who I like. <laughs> That's how I felt like it came. I know I was probably more articulate than that, but that's how it felt while I was saying everything. But, uh, you know, just growing up on sci-fi, Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who was bigger because I just, you just get, for me, it just seemed as, that I was able to watch more episodes than, you know, Star Trek only had the 75, 76 episodes. Uh that you grew up on, you didn't have anything else. You had just those three seasons of Star Trek. Um, but it just seemed like Doctor Who went on forever because you could, you know, he, he could regenerate and all that stuff. So I was a big, big, big Doctor Who. I was very influenced by a lot of uh, UK um, stuff. So um, all of that and just the richness of the, the Marvel Universe at the time and uh, even even though it was just kind of every comics were all just still kind of like goofy little kid books, but I never thought of it as that. And 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 uh, the as the 70s went on, you know, everything started to be more. You know, people grew up, and the people who grew up with all of you know the, the Spider-Man. So it's the same with animation. Everybody who grew up with Spider-Man wanted to keep loving Spider-Man. So. Uh, all of the characters, you know, kind of grew with everybody, and and uh, it's just nice to see that um, that I don't know what I'm talking about. It's nice to see that. Uh, <laughs> well, I was gonna say because I, with... I, I use run-on sentences. That's my mom's fault. <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> she'll, she'll end every sentence with 
and or but like everything she says is is like just this one hour long run on sentence. I, I I find myself doing that every once in a while. I talk myself into a hole and I forget what I'm talking about halfway through, um, like I just did now. What was I talking about? <laughs> well, we were talking about Doctor Who, and I wanted to throw in there, it's kind of cool because next year we're getting Doctor Who on the award-winning Disney+. Plus and yes, exactly, it's yes. Insane. And and it's going to be like Russell Davies and David Tennant again. And my friend, uh, who I was, was my quote-unquote handler yesterday, we were going over like when the next Galaxy Cons were, and she was looking at the dates, and she looked up Richmond, which which comes up in March, and 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 she just like stopped cold and was like like staring at me. I was like, "What? You have to take me to the next one." And like she turned her phone around. I was like, "The main guest is David Tennant." And I'm like, "Holy shit! I'm not gonna be able to control myself if I see him in the." In, in, would, the, in the lounge, I like I don't know. Would you say Tennant's your favorite doctor of all of them? Tennant and Smith, but I think Tennant was. But you know, Tennant, I just love you know everything he does and um, Good Omens and all that stuff. And I think I feel like if if I see him in the VIP lounge or anything, I'm just gonna throw my panties at him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I never get starstruck either, you know. I've only gotten starstruck, you know, like by a few people. You know, Jody and John Behrman were like the, the first ones in a long time, but I have weird starstruck stories. I got starstruck when I saw, when we did, when we were doing Space Ghost, the only person I got starstruck from was Martin Yan. <laughs> From the PBS Chinese cook. <laughs> I just followed his show religiously and finally being a William Sonoma or whatever and watching him like dissect the chicken. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> well, I have to ask, by the way, because I was listening to uh, your interview a couple days ago from uh, the Adult Swim podcast and you had mentioned like they would have you dress up as Space Ghost and do some of the interviews. That's how we did it in the beginning. That's amazing. And the funny thing was is that we would do some of the interviews. I worked at CNN for a year as a DJ, a video journalist. That's the first thing you can do at, at CNN. And so you're basically working on the floor, you know, directing the talent to the camera, or you're in the other studio, you know, working a manual ca- camera, uh, on like interviews and stuff, uh, and and you know you're doing like external interviews for like different things. I put my finger in Newt Gingrich's ear once <laughs> to uh, uh, make sure his IFB was in his ear so he could hear <laughs> whoever was berating him at the time because uh, I, I guess they were berating him because when the interview was over, he <laughs> threw his microphone and IFB off and stormed out of the room. Uh, I remember uh, dressing up as Space Ghost and actually sitting in the exact same studio where I had to work, you know, a year earlier. Standing there, you know, because I had such a beautiful body under the tights, uh, talking to, like, uh, you know, fitness guru Susan Powder saying, what do you think of my body? <laughs> 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 just so 
embarrassing. But yeah, we used to do that at first. We would actually hire outside of Atlanta. We would hire an actor to like do it and uh, stop that. After a while, you know, it was uh, ridiculous. And so we would say it got to a point where we would say, just put a picture of Space Ghost on the side of the camera. We wanted the, the person to look because they couldn't look directly into the camera because it didn't look like they were looking directly at space ghost so so does this mean yeah we stopped that after a while because it was uh how do you say stupid (laughs) (laughs) well i have to ask when hulk hogan was on the show did you dress up as space ghost to interview him or was that post after i didn't i there's a lot of i only did a few interviews um because i was bad at it because you know i was young i didn't know how to talk to people back then. I could totally do it now, but um, back then, you know, I'm like, you know, 24, 25, and 26. You're, you're, you know, still young, and you're like, oh, I'm talking to a famous person, and you're just like, you don't know what to do with yourself, and uh, you don't know how to, you know, in the interview process, add to whatever the person is saying. So you're just kind of trying to stick with the questions because you're scared of this person in front of you. Um, So, but, you know, once we had Dave Willis, he was actually pretty good, like really good at at the interview thing. So it got to a point where basically Dave would do most of the interviews. If there's somebody we really wanted to talk to, like I really wanted, I interviewed Al, Yank Beck, because um, I was just such a big fan. and I got to uh, <laughs> sit in on the call with uh, Steve Allen, um, and that was just crazy for me to talk to Steve Allen as Brack, and then Steve Allen just kind of being as quick as he was, you know, turn around and say, well, I know Brack Ease, and just make up some, like, stupid, like, little language, and, 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 uh, and so, you know, I just started ad-libbing Brackies with, like, Steve Allen. I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. Um, but, um, yeah, I didn't do many of the interviews. But I think I did the original Bobcat interview. Um, uh, I don't remember. I think I interviewed Mimi from the Drew Carey show. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I interviewed Dr. Joyce Brothers, and that was a disaster. Um, this is the second time just, I've heard about her in 24 she just, hours. She was a big psychiatrist in the 70s that was in on every dumb variety show and the Love Boat and stuff. But she was actually a psycho- psychiatrist, so every every question I asked, she would just counter with this, I don't know, weird question within a question where I would just be like, uh, derp. And, um, but you'll never see that episode because she did something weird to her contract where we could only air the episodes with her in it for a number of years. So that's an episode that is a lost episode. That's weird. I never. Yeah, that. you'll never see that on anything. You won't see it on HBO Max. You won't see it on the DVDs or anything like that. So that one is a true lost episode that is probably 
somewhere in the Adult Swim vault, somewhere, never to be seen again. Screw you, Dr. Choice <laughs> Brothers. Your legacy is dead. I didn't even know it was sick. <laughs> and it's your fault. Huh? I I want to put a limit on every show that I'm on so that after a while nobody can see it and I will and my career will be dead. Well, it's funny because like within 24 hours, this is the second mention of her I've heard today or in 24 hours because the first time I heard was a reference to her time on The Simpsons in a one quick little cameo where she says, "I brought my own microphone and that's it." That's funny, and I wonder if that wonder if that Simpsons is lost too. I don't know. I know it's on the DVD. Oh, okay. But she only did that with us. Yeah. Maybe because we were non-union. People hated us because we were non-union. Especially like even the Brack show. Uh, we had uh, George K on the Brack show, and his agent was just livid, you know, after you know he found out we were a non-union show. And we were like... You helped book him, book him, you idiot. So um, he just, like, threatened us up and down, and we came to the compromise that we wouldn't credit him with his name. So that's where Steve Delmonico came from. If you ever see that name pop up in anything, you know, Brack-related after, after the Brack show, Steve Delmonico is a reference to George Takei. Um his appearance on the Brack show. Very I think cool. we used it when we, when we, uh, when I, uh, you know, brought back Cartoon Planet in 2012 and made it like Zorak and Brack were sharing a one bedroom apartment. Um, so we had all these different setups behind Brack and Zorak, and one of them, Brack just had a bunch of shit around him, and one of them was a nameplate that said Steve Delmonico. <laughs> Very cool. That was our tribute to George George Decay. All right, so Andy, this is going to wrap this episode up. But once again, thank you so much for your time speaking with us today. And you thank you. I love talking about nerdy geek Marvel <laughs> stuff. So this is this is great. Thank you. Goes without saying. Open invite anytime. So and I will participate more in the next one when I'm sounding better too. I swear. Why don't you just, uh, you know, get some Flonase or something? That's probably the only thing I haven't tried. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Brack. Uh, get a, get Flonase in a neti pot. That'll, like, clear it right up. But, Eddie, we, we have to call it an Eddie pot. Oh. The Eddie Netty. <laughs> Close enough. Eddie, Eddie's got his neti, and uh, you should actually do a uh, neti uh, demonstration on air. So we can hear it all just come out, and then you're like, ah, I can talk again. Ew. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, but, you know, you'll sell people on it. That's right, so, man. No pain, no gain. I get that. You will, you will, you know, have some converts there. Amen, brother. All right, so before we go, by the way, Andy, two little things. Uh, one, you got a podcast, I hear. I have a podcast. I started a couple weeks ago. It's called... Um, Story time for the insane. I I started it as a uh, you know to read my own stories just so I would you know finish stories that I begin. Um, but it's kind of turning into this process where it's kind of like a look into my mind of 
how I'm forming these stories because I think the story that I'm reading right now is kind of evolving. You know, I, I, you know, I started reading the story itself, but as the story is like moving on, I'm just feeling like the the main character focus is is starting to be different and, uh, and all of that. So I I kind of feel like it's like a writing exercise where I'm you know, developing this story. And uh, I kind of feel like if it, if it goes like way off into a different area and the, the, like the, the main character changes, I'll, I'll like change it as it goes and then maybe go and revisit the first chapters that I read and, and edit those to like fit the story. So um, it's interesting for me. I don't know how interesting it is for, for anybody else, but uh, it's just, uh, crazy look into the writing process. And really, it was originally supposed to be just with me reading weird crap that I wrote. Um, but it's called Storytime for the Insane. And I think it's maybe focusing more on the insanity than, than anything else. So we'll see what happens with it. I've only had like two episodes so far. Um, hopefully, I'll get another episode out next week. Uh, I've got to write, write, write. So. And I guess That's I... What it is. I, I listened to the show on Spotify, so like when I saw it on there, I'm like, ooh, I can check this out, too. I hope you liked it. Absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's pro- not weird Brack stuff. It's I'm trying to, you know, be... I'm not trying to be serious. I'm just trying to show that I can <laughs> do a longer-form thing, and I, I'm very uh, into writing dialogue, and uh, the thing about writing a book outside of a script is I like the freedom of being able to interject with my own voice and say, you know, and stop and interrupt and say, okay, so here is where the character does this. And, and I would keep that in a book even because I want people to, you know, know that, you know, thought process that I have that is, I I don't know if it's unique. Uh, uh, I I actually always try and inject myself into everything. Um, I always try and inject myself into every character I do, Brack being like the most like me. Um, so this is just a big experiment, and I hope people are enjoying it. Absolutely. And another way people can enjoy what you do, hopefully very soon with Cameo, uh, <laughs> a, bit of a, a bit of an issue with that, but we want to be able to help rectify that. Maybe I'm just an IT idiot. But it just seems like the last time I tried to get on Cameo, they were finally like, you need 20,000 Instagram followers. And I'm like, where am I going to get that? So I, I think it stems from somebody, this is not Instagram, somebody on Twitter had a fake Brack account where everybody thought it was Brack because everything he tweeted was very, very authentically Brack-like. And uh, he had... I was jealous of Brack because he had a lot of followers. And and so the guy ended up giving me the the um <clears throat> the uh Twitter uh uh title and all that stuff and I guess I should have gone from there instead of trying to like build up my own name. But I just like, you know, people to know me. So I've gotten up to five thousand Twitter followers and I maybe got like two thousand Instagram followers. So. 2001 now because I followed you on our page. Huh? 2001 now because I followed you from our page as well. 
Yes. My God, it's full of stars. <laughs> <laughs> Did not think I'd hear a Kubrick reference today, but here we are. Yes, there it is. Boink. Um, you said 2001, so I had to say something dumb. Um, so, yeah, I, just this whole cameo thing is stupid to me. Um, so, yeah, please follow me. 8,000 more, no, 18,000 more people. And the uh, Instagram name is A Merrill, M E R I L 2 on Instagram. It's all like A Merrill 2. Twitter is at A Merrill 2 uh, because there's another Andy Merrill out there who beat me to everything. I continue. Although I believe TikTok is A Merrill because I beat him. I continually beat the uh, filmmaker or the uh, film composer uh, Peter Melnick on social media. Although one time he uh, somebody, somebody tried to connect that Andy Merrill and me, and I made a joke on Twitter about we can't be together because we can cash each other's checks. Oh wait, I just scared myself. And then he like never wrote back. So I think I don't know harbors this disgust for me because you know. People try and look for me, and they just find this stupid brat guy. But um, I don't know. Hey, it's all good. There's, there's a doctor, Andy Merrill. There's a, another Andy Merrill somewhere in New England that builds boats. So I'm not the only one. The Peter Melnick well, film composer accidentally sent me tickets to go see uh, David uh, Burden's uh, Broadway show, and like I contacted him because uh, we talked to each other once on Facebook, and I said, "Hey, uh, I think you accidentally sent me your film ticket or your uh, show tickets." And he goes, "Oh my god, thank you for sending them." I'm like, "Maybe I should hold him ransom now." <laughs> uh, well, you know, burn down the house. <laughs> you should have just, just gone. You should have dressed for the nines and go. And why I am Peter who, Melnick? Who the hell are you? Oh, well, I'm Peter Melnick. Exactly. <laughs> the oversized white suit. <laughs> Same yeah. as it ever was. He, Same as it ever he, was. He wears the David Byrne everywhere. Yep. Every go, everywhere I go, I go, watch out. <laughs> Stop making sense. Yes. Do I ever. <laughs> All right. So once again, Andy, thank you so much for your time speaking with us today. Thank you. Yeah, man. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Andy Merrill, and I'm Brack, and I like Spider-Man, and my dog just shook herself, so I don't know if you want me to say that again. Stupid. Why did you do that? And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Excelsior. Stupid. <laughs>